for faith to operate, you've got to believe in God. That's just obvious, but you've also got to seek Him diligently with all of your heart. And when you operate in that kind of faith, God's miracle working power can start to begin to work in your life. Would Jesus marvel at your great faith or your unbelief? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Jesus wants us to live with great faith, trusting in Him and His promises. As believers, we need to live with such great faith that the world looks at us and marvels. Turn with me to John 4:33 as David shares with us part one of a message called Great Faith. I want to move now into the message that the Lord has laid on my heart today. Uh, I'm really looking at the theme of great faith. God wants all of us to have great faith. Uh, In fact, in the story of the Syrophoenician woman in the New Testament, uh, Jesus has this Gentile woman come up to her and wants her daughter healed. And Jesus doesn't immediately respond to her. Uh, She's a Gentile and he actually has a playful interchange with her about her asking for this healing. And she finally says, you know, even the dogs get scraps from the table as Jesus alluded that he first came to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And Jesus, I think with a chortle, with a laugh said, you know what, your daughter is healed. And it's a beautiful statement of the power of great faith. In fact, Jesus marvels at her great faith. Question, would Jesus marvel at your great faith? In another section in scripture, it says Jesus looked at the people in his hometown and he marveled at their unbelief. Would Jesus marvel at your unbelief? Which drives your spiritual heart? Great faith or great unbelief? Jesus wants you to have great faith because when that happens, miracles begin to occur like at no other time in your life. Now, the only definition of faith that we have in the Bible is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let me read it to you. Uh, The author of Hebrews says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's interesting. So faith doesn't see, uh, but it still moves forward with hope and conviction. Verse two also, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Uh, So God said, well done. You know, when you get a commendation at work, it's your boss saying, well done, or from a coach who says, well done. Well, God says, well done when we operate by faith. And then there's verse six, which is so powerful, where God says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Some translations have those who diligently seek him. So for faith to operate, you've got to believe in God. That's just obvious, but you've also got to seek him diligently with all of your heart. And when you operate in that kind of faith, God's miracle working power can start to begin to work in your life. Again, the question... Do you have great faith or great unbelief? Would God marvel at your great faith? Uh, Today is a story as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, verse by verse, about a Roman official 
who had great faith. Now, let's look at the story together. But before we do so, real quickly, the context, as John Casey so ably did last week, there was Jesus in Samaria where he encountered a Samaritan woman. Uh, She had five husbands. He loved this outcast, though, and her heart was deeply touched as she moved through an understanding of who Jesus was, finally believing that he was the Messiah. She ran into the city, brought out all of her fellow citizens in their white garb, and Jesus had his disciples look up and say, look up, you know, quit navel gazing, spiritual Christians, look up. The harvests are white and ripe in order to come to faith in me. And Jesus then spent two days in Samaria teaching those people about who he was. He had, first of all, the woman at the well, the outcast who believed. Then he had many others who believed as well. Two full days. He operated mostly in that area by persuasion. And that's important as well for Christians today. We've got to be able to persuade people by rational arguments who Jesus is and what he did. It's called apologetics. We need to know the truth about who Jesus is. And as we give that to people, it will persuade some to come to faith as it did the Samaritan woman and the many others in that village. Interestingly, Jesus apparently did no miracles in that place. The people came to faith again by persuasion, by argument, by teaching. But there are others who will come to faith by miracles. Uh, We've seen this worldwide. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener, a very famous theologian, has written volumes of works about miracles that have happened all over the world, that happened by faith in the hearts of believers worldwide. It's an amazing read. You ought to do it sometime. Again, Dr. Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R, has written these volumes about miracles happening all over the world by faith. And that's what we're going to look at now. As Jesus persuaded some to come to faith in him, now he's going to operate by a miracle in helping other people come to faith in him. Let's begin in John chapter four, where we left off last week with verse 43. This is the word of the Lord. So in verse 43, after these two days, after the two days of spending time with the Samaritans and persuading them to believe in him, he departed for Galilee. Now, in case you don't know, again, you have a map of Israel on the back of your hand. You have your thumb and to the north of that is the Mediterranean Sea. In the middle of the back of your palm is basically Judea and Jerusalem's right in the middle of that. Then you have to your first knuckle, you have Samaria. That's the northern part from Judea where the Samaritans lived. And then you have to the north of that Galilee, which would be your first knuckle to your fingertips. So there's your map of Israel, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. So Jesus, as we've seen in John thus far, uh, begins his ministry uh, in Cana of Galilee in John 2, where he is in the northern part of the palm of your hand. Then he goes to Jerusalem where he cleanses the temple and does miracles, encounters Nicodemus. Then he goes north right to the border of Judea and Samaria where he baptizes 
uh, with his disciples, many people. And then he crosses into Samaria because the text John covered last week says he must because he had a divine appointment with a woman at the well. God wanted this woman in the kingdom and others of her citizenry to enter as well. And then after that, he goes north into Galilee and we'll see in just a moment where he goes in Galilee that evidently must be a special place for him to live. So after two days, he departed for Galilee uh, from Samaria. Uh, Then verse 44 is fascinating for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. He did not go to Nazareth, as we'll see in a moment, because he just wasn't well accepted there. I mean, that was one of the places where he marveled at their unbelief. He did a few minor miracles there, but they did not believe in him. A prophet is without honor in his own hometown. What's going on there? Could it be that in that area of Jesus' life, he still heard whispers that perhaps he was illegitimate, that he was fathered by a person other than Joseph? Maybe those whispers continued even until his later adulthood, and he had to live with feeling no honor from anyone because they thought, This guy is an illegitimate child. Or it could be as simple as familiarity breeds contempt. You know, the more you hang around with somebody, the more you don't think they're very special. But when you have somebody on a pedestal and you don't really know them, you think they're incredibly honorable. Well, it could be that as well. Since Jesus was raised in Nazareth, uh, we know he spent certainly from uh, age 12 to age 30 there, maybe even before, and people just knew him. They didn't think he was special. They saw him every day. They saw him working in his father's carpenter shop. There was nothing outstanding about him, at least in the people's eyes. So why would they believe that he was anything special? Jesus himself is the one who said to people, you know what? Probably I'm not going to Nazareth when I go into Galilee because a prophet's just not honorable in his own hometown. That's what he says in verse 44. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So if you remember, again, Jesus started out in John 2, his first miracle, the changing of water into wine at Cana in Galilee. And then after that, he went to Jerusalem where he cleansed the temple and he taught furiously about who God the Father is. And then he met with Nicodemus and performed signs and wonders that caused many people to be amazed at him. So this verse tells us that many of these Galileans had gone south to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. They were in Jerusalem when he taught in the temple. They were there when he cleansed the temple. They were there when he performed many miracles and people began to believe in him. So when he came home, it was a hero's welcome, not in Nazareth for a prophet's without honor in his own hometown, but the other places around where the people had seen him do these miracles, man, he was important. And they welcomed him home with a grand celebration. Then in verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee. So he came home to Galilee, but where did he go first? Cana, where he performed his first miracle, changing the water into wine. 
I asked myself this week in my study, why Cana? Why did he start out there and do his first miracle there? Why, when he came back from Jerusalem after meeting with Nicodemus, cleansing the temple, doing all of those miracles, meeting with a Samaritan woman, persuading all those people to come to faith in him in Samaria, why Cana? And the only thing I can conclude is that when he did the miracle at the wedding feast of uh, Cana of Galilee, his mama was there in an important role in that wedding. She was the one who went to him and said, they've run out of wine. Do something, son. Don't let this couple be in shame at all. So maybe uh, Mary and Joseph had family in Cana of Galilee. Maybe Jesus had been raised with a lot of these people. Maybe he had a lot of friends in Cana of Galilee, but also it could well be Cana was a small mountainous town in the northern part of Galilee. It was 3,000 feet above sea level from Capernaum, which was a large industrious city, very important to the Romans. So it could well be that this was kind of like Boone, North Carolina. When some of you want to get away and just rest after a busy, hectic time, you retreat to the mountains, to a smaller town where you can just rest and be and relax. So it could be that Jesus went to Cana of Galilee, a 3,000 trek upward march in order to get to a town that was mountainous, that was reserved away from everything where he could just rest, refresh, renew, and be. We don't know for sure, but I suspect that might be the case. Also to be with some friends and maybe even extended family members who lived in Cana of Galilee. So he goes to Cana of Galilee uh, where he had made the water into wine. Again, his first miracle was performed there. And at Capernaum, now we switch scenes. This is like a movie where you're in one city and it's telling you a story and then it flips to another city and at the bottom you have the name of the city. Now put at the bottom of your movie screen on this text, Capernaum. Uh, that was a place where Jesus did a lot of his teaching. It was almost the central focal point of his ministry, his launching pad, if you will, in Galilee. So there is a certain official who lived in Capernaum and whose son was ill. We're going to see in a moment just how ill he was. But now we have this Roman official introduced. He's wealthy, powerful, privileged. When he says to do something, people do it. Uh, he is used to getting his own way. He is a very important person. He is again called a Roman official. And his son was very, very ill. So when the man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Now, you can only imagine how quickly the word spread that this Jesus, who is from Galilee, from Nazareth, this Jesus was in Jerusalem and he healed, we don't know how many people, but maybe dozens of people were healed by his power. Is this the Messiah? Now, can you imagine in that day how quickly that word spread? It spread so rapidly, so quickly, even among Romans and especially Roman officials. Now, here's one who probably had heard the word about this miracle working rabbi, this one who could heal people. And his son was very sick. His son was sick to the point of death. Now, you need to know a couple of things here. First of all, dear friends, death 
was never a part of God's original intent. Death is an evil intrusion into God's once perfect world. It was brought about in Genesis 3 by the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and they have now through their corruption corrupted everything in this universe. You and I are following their lead. And this boy is near death. How much more painful is it to face death for those of you out there with parents, for example, who are aging, who might be in their 80s or 90s and they're facing death. I know your hearts grieve over what's happening, but you know what's even more painful is when a little one, a child is close to death, caused by a disease. We'll see later on that this child had a fever. Uh, we don't know exactly what the disease was, but it was a furious and a fever that he was approaching death. I remember when I got the call one time to go to the hospital and I went and visited little Claire Ratliff, Emily and Kevin's little girl, just a couple of years of age. And she was bald from the chemo treatments because of this very virulent cancer that had invaded her body. You know, for some months we cared for her and loved her and I ultimately was asked to do her funeral. And it's just so sad to see a child suffer like that. People ask me, if God is good, why do little ones suffer like that? And the only answer I can give is Genesis 3, the fall, the corruption of this world that's corrupted everything. And I would give to all of you out there who maybe have lost to little ones and have children who have died, Isaiah 57.1. Perhaps you'd like to read that, memorize that. It basically says that sometimes God takes the righteous in order to spare them from evil. And you're going to go, oh, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And it will make sense. That's the faith declaration all of us need to cling to every single day. Faith doesn't see. It's the conviction of things hoped for. But we do believe even though we can't see. To Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I dig into one of my favorite Davidisms, J-O-Y, joy. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. 
Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Jen. It's always good being with you. Well, thank you. In one of your morning e-devotions, you recently wrote about one of my favorite topics, which happens to be a Davidism. It's J-O-Y. And indeed, your middle name, right? That's right. That's right. Well, everyone, let's talk about joy because it gives us insights into the way life should be lived. So if you want lasting joy, here's the way you get it. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's often overlooked. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. Jesus said that joy is the eternal birthright of all of those who believe in him. That's John 16.22. But I think there's something else Jesus wants to help us understand about joy. It's acronym. J means Jesus, O is others, and Y then is yourself. And I think in that order, we find life the way that Jesus wants wants us to live it. So let's look at each one. First of all, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of mm-hmm. Lords. He must be first in our lives. Matthew 6, seek first the mm-hmm. kingdom of God. And then I think the king of the kingdom as well. Then, oh, others come next. Life's greatest joy should be serving other people. Practicing servanthood is how God wants us to live. Jesus said in Mark ten forty five, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. Then finally, last is self, you. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. You'll find that the Lord wants to give you his joy, but it's when you rightly order life according to his priorities. Jesus came to earth as a servant, putting the will of the Father above all else, and he followed the Lord's will through service to others, then to you and me. So try following that acronym today and see if joy doesn't explode in your life. Here it is once again, J, Jesus first, O, others second, Y, yourself last. And when you do so, you'll begin to overcome discouragement, have great joy, and live life to the full. Well, I think one of my favorite stories that Marilyn and you tell is the story of when you were battling infertility and she decided to serve others in this very place that was most heartache to her. She poured out her life and served at the Pregnancy Resource Center. Exactly. It's one of the strangest stories I've ever heard. It's beautiful. She was infertile. We were told we would probably never have children. In her angst, she decided to go serve other women in problem pregnancies, a lot of whom would just look at a guy seemingly and get pregnant. And here we were unable to having extreme difficulties. But as she served women in crisis pregnancies, the joy of the Lord came to her to continue to believe Mm -hmm. that God had a profound plan for her life. It took eight years, but finally God gave us Bethany and then two others down the road a ways. And God has been so faithful to us. I couldn't help but think last weekend when I was with my youngest son, given to me in my mid-40s, Marilyn, when she was 40, Mm -hmm. with his first son holding him in his arms, realizing that was our eighth grandchild, and from a barren womb has come eight 
beautiful grandchildren mm. because of her great faith, but she had her faith increase when she gave her life away to those caught in the very problem that she wanted overcome within herself. I love it. It's such a powerful story. Thank you, Jen. And all of you, please have joy in your hearts. Go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe to my daily Davidisms right now. They'll arrive in your inbox at 7 a.m. It's a gift from me, from my heart to yours, to give you hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leaders in our country.